Um, as I've shared with you many times my story, um, I, was, I was raised in church. I was a church kid. My, um, my parents were very, very involved uh, in the church. My grandfather was the pastor of the church I grew up in, and my dad did just about everything. He led the music, and he was a Sunday school director, and, and um, my, my mom played the piano, and so that was, that was just my life, my, just always being just super, super involved in the church. And I remember uh, one night as a little kid, my dad getting a letter from someone in the church. And uh, we, were gonna, we were getting ready to go home. I remember him reading it in the car and my dad just being devastated by the contents of this letter. You know, we're little kids. We're sitting in the back seat. We're trying to get a handle on what's happening. And so I was just like, well, because I knew who had given him the letter. And I said, well, what did the letter say? He's like, well, they're, they're leaving the church. And I said, why? He said, well, they, they got offended and they're leaving the church. I never heard that phrase before, getting offended, um, but it was a phrase that I was going to get very, very familiar with over the next 35 years um, in being involved in the church. Um, every pastor I've ever, ever served under, worked with, uh, had the privilege of being a pastor, dozens of different pastors, I've watched this happen again and again and again and again. People getting offended and leaving the church. It didn't matter, it didn't seem to matter how good the pastor was, how long he'd been doing ministry, it just, it just happened. Well, it really started hitting, well, and so as a youth pastor, and I watched this happen with my senior pastors all the time, I'm like, man, that must really stink. Well, then I got further along enough in ministry where it started happening to me. People were getting by, offended by me. No, that's, surely, that can't be possible. I had lots of phone calls, and I, I remember it was interesting to me the things that people get offended over. Um, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I received a phone call from a really, really angry parent. They were very, very offended at something I had said. And I was like, well, what, what have I done? What have I said? Well, at that point, I was working with middle school students. I worked with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And I made a statement from the pulpit that I've said many, many times. I just didn't think about it. I said, you know, believing in Jesus is not like believing in fairy tales. It's not like believing in the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny, and, and Santa Claus. It's, it's, it's not like that. Well, this parent was irate with me. How dare you ch- tell my child that Santa Claus isn't real? so mad at me, and I said, he is 12 years old, right? Is, is, do, you, do you believe that Santa Claus is real? Like, I'm just trying to help, help me understand where we're coming from here. He's like, well, yeah, he was already starting to have doubts, and you just hit the last nail in the coffin. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. I had, I had no idea. I, I've, I've watched people be offended at, at so many different things, and, I, and as I've interacted with people, it's like I, I feel like I keep taking, trying to take a different approach because I don't want to be offensive, I'm used to blog. I had to stop blogging because I just realized there was just, I just wasn't allowed, as a pastor, there was just certain things I was not allowed to have an opinion about. Politics, don't even go there. Like, I'm not allowed to have a political opinion, so don't ask me. I have none, okay? Because I realize whatever my political opinion is, I'm going to offend someone, so I just don't discuss my political opinions anymore. I, I just have none because I'm just found out I'm not allowed to have any. And, it, and so I kept... And, there were t- and I would see like I would try to back off and just like you notice me on Facebook, I'd post one thing. It's a five minutes of fire video and that's it. I have a different Facebook account where I post cute pictures of my kids because that seems pretty safe, right? No, I actually even got in trouble for that once. Yeah, this was the worst. This was not, I just about quit the ministry over this one. See, one of the things I, I've always done with my girls is I take them on daddy-daughter dates. And years ago, I took one of my little girls on a daddy-daughter date and I took a picture of us and I posted it on Facebook. And it offended somebody. 
I had two people in my church calling me. I write, they were just ranting on Facebook because you know where I took the picture? In Starbucks. They were so offended. Give my money to that evil corporation. How dare I take my daughter to Starbucks? And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. Like, I, just, it's just, I just realized that like, this is a part of my world. Like, I just offend people. I don't, I don't like it any more than anyone else does. It's just part of my, my world. And, because if you, and when you get up on stage as often as I do, you're just going to offend people. It's just, it is just the way it is because there's no better position to take than the position of, well, you should have said this. You didn't say that. Why did you say this? When you said that, did you really mean this? Like that, that just happens to me all the time. And like, I'm, don't worry. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I've got pretty strong shoulders. I can take it, obviously. But I just realized it's, it's just a part of my role. It's just a part of the role that, of, where I, of what I do. And as, I've, and as I study the scriptures, I realize that I take comfort in the fact that Jesus was just constantly offending people. I follow in the shoes of a, of a great man who was just used to this, who he was. And you're looking at me like, that doesn't sound right. Because we're, we're walking through a series right now about Jesus. It's called I Am Jesus. And so last week, or a couple weeks ago, we looked at a picture of Jesus, of him being the good shepherd. Can you pull that picture up of cute, cuddly Jesus for me? We typically tend to picture Jesus as cute, cuddly Jesus. Jesus, the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the verse that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We've been walking through different statements of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. If you go on Google and you type in Jesus picks, you don't have to look very far until you'll see lots of pictures of cute, cuddly Jesus. I don't know why. I mean, it's like pictures of Jesus just stroking a lamb is what, we, what you'll typically find. Just these nice, cheesy pictures of Jesus. But those just, those aren't really accurate. Jesus wasn't very often cute and cuddly. In fact, today I wanted to title today's message, Savage Jesus. Because that's often where Jesus came about. There it is. There's cute and cuddly Jesus. This is the Jesus that we want to follow. This is the Jesus image that we like. Because this is comfortable for us. Here's the problem with cute, cuddly Jesus. Who would nail this guy to a cross? I mean, really. It's just like he just walks around just telling everybody to love each other. Why would you nail this guy to a cross? This guy doesn't ever offend anybody. But that wasn't the picture of Jesus. As I said, Jesus was often very, very savage. In fact, he even acknowledged this. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. If Jesus never did or said anything that was offensive, why would he make this statement? That you're blessed if you don't get offended because of me. I, took my, I gave myself a challenge this past week, and it's a challenge I'm going to offer you. It's called the Red Letter Challenge. If you have a physical Bible, oftentimes the words of Jesus are printed in red letters. So that's what I did. I went to Matthew, and I started in Matthew chapter 1, and I just read through the red letters. What did Jesus say, and I kept constantly finding very, very offensive things. You don't believe me? Let me show you. Here's just a few of the things that Jesus said. 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. That one doesn't sound like fun, does it? God, really? I thought Christians were just supposed to get along with everybody. Christians are just supposed to be really, really nice and never offend anybody. Jesus says, you're blessed when people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, and say evil things. In fact, it gets even worse in verse 12. Look what he says here. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Ouch. I don't see that one crocheted on a pillow anywhere. That's offensive to me. I don't want to follow a guy who says I'm blessed when I'm persecuted and lied about. That doesn't sound like fun at all, does it? Look what he says in verse 28. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust and has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, Jesus, that's a pretty, pretty high standard, isn't it? Oh, he gets worse in verse 29. Look what he says. So if your eye, even your good eye, I find that part hilarious. Like, which, Does it really matter which eye it is? Oh, no, not my good one. <laughs> so your eye, even if your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. All right, you guys ready to follow Matthew 5.29 today? No takers? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, I'm the only one who finds that funny. So if you're right-handed, even if it's your right hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. How did Jesus get anyone to follow him saying stuff like this? We, We go on. Verse 32, I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Wow. I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That doesn't sound like the gospel in 2019 in America, does it? Don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you, turn them the other cheek. I remember as a kid, I hated this verse. No, you slap me, buckle up, buttercup, because another one's coming back at you. No, Jesus says, oh, thank you. Now hit me again. I hated this verse, but Jesus said it. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That is harsh. That is offensive. Verse 24, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Well, that's not what the evangelist on TV told me. The evangelist on TV told me that if I send him a dollar, God's going to send me a hundred. Which I've always had a problem with that because if that's the way it really works, why isn't the evangelist sending me a dollar? You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Students are are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their masters. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. If you're not a Christian today, am I not selling you hardcore on becoming one? Jesus said, you follow me, you'll be called names worse than what I've been called. And oh, by the way, I've been called the prince of demons. Okay, that was just a survey of Matthew. 
I just went through Matthew. I won't go through Mark or Luke or John, but I do want to highlight one thing from John because when it comes to Jesus' top 10 most offensive things, I think this one I'm about to show you ranks in about number two. Okay, here we go. John chapter 6, verse 53. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. If you're a guest with us today, please join us after our service for a blood-drinking ceremony, okay? Your elbow and your neighbor. This, is this one of those snake-handling churches? You didn't tell me where I was signing up for. How do you, and see, this, was, this, this is offensive to us. It was so offensive in Jesus' day that he had crowds of people following him. He said this, they all deserted him. This guy's crazy. I ain't signing up for this. It was so bad that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, will you turn away too? That's how bad it was. Why in the world am I showing you all this? Because unfortunately in 2019 in America, we have sanitized Jesus to the the point where he no longer looks like who he really was. We have created a version of Jesus that is so cute and cuddly. Why wouldn't anybody want to follow this Jesus? But if you read this book... We just need to get used to the fact that Jesus was very, very offensive. He was not politically correct. He spoke the truth. And today, I'm going to show you, that was just number two, by the way. Today, we're going to talk about what I believe is the most offensive thing Jesus ever said. Because here's the principle that I want to share with you, which is this. We don't have the option to only listen to truth when it comforts us. We don't have the option to only accept truth that we like and that makes us feel better. Truth is truth whether it comforts us or whether it challenges us. It's still truth whether I like it or not, whether it makes me feel good or not. It's still the truth, and I ignore it at my own peril. Jesus did not come to just share with us a bunch of cute cuddly sayings. He came to give us the truth. Will we embrace the offensiveness of the gospel? Because the gospel, step one is, you are a sinner who deserves to die. That is offensive. But that's where the gospel starts. It starts with the bad news. And the bad news is what we're about to hear about in the most offensive thing that Jesus ever said. Are you ready? Does anybody need to leave at this point? I'll give you a chance to leave. All right, we're looking at John chapter 14 today. This is the context of the most offensive thing Jesus ever said. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Well, pastor, that doesn't sound offensive. That sounds really nice. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Again, that sounds really good, doesn't it? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. I love this because here's where we turn the corner. My man Thomas speaks up. You remember Thomas from last week? Thomas speaks up. Look at what Thomas says. I love this. No, we don't, Lord. 
We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? I like Thomas. He speaks bluntly. <laughs> you ever been in a situation where people are like, do you have any questions? And you're like, does anyone have the guts to ask a question? Let me give you an example. So yesterday, I, I took my son to visit you and I. And so uh, he was exploring the computer uh, science department. And so they had a student come up and share his research about computer science. This guy went off on this 10-minute spiel. I lost him after the first word. And at the end, he said, are there any questions? I so badly wanted to be like Thomas and say, yeah, you lost me after the first part. Could you repeat the whole thing over again? Because I have no clue what you're talking about. We don't normally have the guts to say that, do we? Thomas did. Uh, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. And we have no idea how to get there. Now, this is all set up for the most offensive thing Jesus ever said. Here it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound offensive, does it? But we're going to dig down here a little bit, and I'm going to show you why this is so offensive in 2019 in America. Because of this three-letter word called the. T-H-E. That's the most offensive part in this passage. Because the word the means this. Used to refer to a person, place, or thing that is unique. Jesus is saying, he didn't say, I'm a way to heaven. I'm a way to God. I'm a way to truth. I'm one of many truths. I'm one of many ways that you could pick to get to life. No, he said, I am T-H-E, the way. That's offensive. How dare you say that you and your church is the only one who's right? How dare you say that your religion is the only way to God? How dare you say that? That's offensive to me. That's very offensive Either Jesus said this or he didn't. Let's clarify what he said because he wanted to be very clear. He said it down here at the bottom. No one can come to the Father except through me. Let's clarify what he's saying. What does he mean by Father? He means God. And when he says me, let's just call it what it is. Right here, Jesus is saying something that's so offensive today. No one can come to God except through Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. We're uncomfortable with this truth, very uncomfortable. In fact, there was a, a, a survey done a few years ago of Americans and asked them about heaven and hell. Two-thirds of Americans believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die. Two-thirds of Americans. But they are also talked directly to Christians, people who identify themselves as born-again Christians, and they asked them this statement. And I, want, I want to quote it because it's important. Do you believe that a person can earn salvation based upon good deeds even without accepting Christ as the way to eternal life? One half of born-again Christians said yes. One half of born-again Christians said that a person could earn their way to heaven based upon good deeds even without accepting Christ as the way to eternal life. One half of American Christians do not believe what Jesus just said. Don't believe it. I don't want to believe that, the, that Jesus is the only way to God. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't sound fair. That just seems un-American. 
because we've been taught American exceptionalism. Americans, we believe that where there's a will, there's a way. In fact, if there isn't a way, I'll make a way. We're so independent. We like lots and lots of options. We like lots and lots of choices. Let me give you an example. You, just recently, I went to the store to buy a tube of toothpaste. Go to the toothpaste aisle in Walmart and Grinnell, and you tell me how many options you have. A whole wall of toothpaste just to get my teeth clean. It doesn't matter what you want to buy. We got options for you. Imagine, imagine how odd it would be to walk into a store and there's one tube of toothpaste. That's it. That's un-American, isn't it? We like options. We like choices. We like creating our own way. God does not give us that option when it comes to eternity. Jesus made a very radical statement here in this moment, and we need to sit in this tension. He said, no one can come to God except through Jesus. There's one way, and I'm it. We're uncomfortable with this truth because it doesn't seem fair. Well, but pastor, what about all those poor people that have never heard about Jesus? Yeah, what about them? That's why Jesus said, get to work so they can hear. That's why we as a church said we're going to do everything so that they can hear. We're going to invest time, money, and resources so that they can hear. Because if they don't hear, it's a, it's a problem. Jesus said, no one can come to God except through me. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, here's what I want you to tell you. There is nothing fair about grace. Not a thing fair that I, a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner, can have my sins be forgiven and I get a ticket to heaven because I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing fair about that whatsoever. And doggone it, that's un-American. I want fair. I'm a good person. So give me what I deserve. Give me, I deserve heaven. Well, that other guy, I'm not so sure about him. I don't know where this belief comes from, but it runs so deep within us. And it's not what Jesus taught. He didn't say if you're good. He said there's one way. I'm in. I am the way. The truth. Let's look at this for a minute. Because there's another pop. Not, second to I believe that all good people go to heaven. Another belief that runs so deep within Americans is this. All religions teach basically the same thing anyways. All religions believe basically the same thing. They're basically just telling you to be good and, and just we all believe in God. We just believe in a different version of God. There's many way, paths up the mountain. But they all get to the same point. Blah, 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 blah. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus said this for a reason because that is simply not true. Let's talk directly about what the different religions believe about Jesus. I'm going to just give you a highlight of what the different religions believe about Jesus. Let's look at Islam. Islam considered Jesus to be a messenger of God and the Messiah. Did you know that, that Islam believed that Jesus was the Messiah? Not only that, that the Quran mentions Jesus 25 times more often than Muhammad. Did you realize that Muslims had such a high respect for Jesus? They do, but here's where we part ways. 
But they also emphasize that Jesus was a mortal human who, like other prophets, had been divinely chosen to spread God's message. Islam rejects that Jesus was God or the Son of God or believe that he was ever crucified or resurrected or atoned for the sins of mankind. In fact, they say the Quran never even claimed any of these things. So according to Muslims, Jesus never even said this. Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be the Son of God. So we part ways here, don't we? Let's look at Judaism. Judaism rejects Jesus being the God, being God or a person of the Trinity, and they don't believe that he was the Messiah because they said he, he, does, he didn't fulfill the prophecies or have the qualifications for the Messiah. How about Mormonism? What do Mormons believe about Jesus? I took this quote directly from a Mormon website. Mormons believe that all men and women ever to be born, including Jesus Christ, lived with God as his spirit children before this life. God wanted each of us to come to earth to gain experience, learn, and grow to become more like him. But God also knew that his children would all, including Jesus, sin, die, and fall short of his glory. We would need a Savior to overcome our sins and imperfections and reconcile us to God. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was chosen to be the Savior during our pre-mortal life with God. But unique to Latter-day Saints is the belief that after Jesus' death, he visited his people in the Americas and preached to them. So you have, here we have Christianity, we have Muslim, we have Mormonism, and we have Judaism, and they all four go in dramatically different directions when it comes to Jesus. All religions do not teach basically the same thing, and here's the problem. They can't all be right. But unfortunately, we as Americans... I don't know how, why, but we're very, very comfortable in contradictions. We don't really want to believe that there's only one way. We just want to say, ah, everybody's right. But that just didn't give us that option. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Let me show you this quote from David Kinnaman. Americans are very comfortable with contradictions. Millions of Americans mix secular and various religious views to create their personal belief systems. It's hyper-individualism. They're cutting and pasting religious views from a variety of different sources, television, movies, conversation with their friends. What Americans are saying is this, listen, I can probably put together a philosophy of life for myself that is just as accurate, just as helpful as any particular faith might provide. Why do I need to go all in on Jesus? Can't I just cut and paste and figure it out on my own? Because again, Jesus didn't give us that option. He said, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And he spells this out for us in John 10.10, 10, one of my favorite verses. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, one of the reasons why I believe, one of the ways he does that is he tries to water down truth for us. He tries to get us to explain away the very obvious things that Jesus said. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God except through me. So we find ourselves at a crossroads here. So when it comes to this saying, I think we have three options. First option is this, is that Jesus was lying. And then he knew he wasn't God. He just said this to get followers. Or we're being lied to. As, the, as Muslims tell us, a lot of skeptical scholars would tell us Jesus never even said that to begin with. Jesus never said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
You're being lied to. That's option number one. Option number two is that maybe Jesus was just crazy. I mean, you, there's lots of people that think they're God. I mean, they thought he was crazy when he was alive. His family thought he was crazy. He was called all kinds of names. He was demon-possessed. He was the prince of demons. People thought he was crazy back then. Maybe, maybe Jesus was just crazy, and he was delusional. But what happened back then when those accusations were brought up? The evidence. Yeah, but crazy people don't heal blind people. Crazy people don't raise the dead. Crazy people don't perform miracles. There's, there's more to what he's saying. In fact, there's evidence, proof that maybe he is God. So either he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or the third option, he was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God and knew exactly what he was talking about and told us the truth. Which, what do you believe? Because your answer to that question is everything. Whether you accept what Jesus said or whether you reject it, Jesus said is everything. He doesn't give us any other options. And that makes us really, really uncomfortable. So I, I wanted to take a survey today. But I wanted to do this in like the most private way that I knew how to. So I'm going to take a survey, and I'm going to ask you to respond to the survey. But I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. We're going to do this a little bit differently. If you're here today, and you would say that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I'm not assuming that you are just because you are at church. But if you would say, yes, that is me. I'm a Christian. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. All right, so if you're looking at me right now, you'd say, no, I'm not. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's okay. I'm, I'm not here to beat you up. But Okay, open your eyes. I don't know if I saw any eyes open. So we're all, if not all of us, are on the same page, page here. Say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So here's the next question I want to ask you. How many of you in this room have read this book from Genesis to Revelation. If you say, yeah, that's me, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Okay, all right. I didn't see a whole lot of eyes closed. That's all right. No, no, no guilt, no, no Just, I'm just trying to get from information here. Everybody's like, well, I feel guilty already. What are you talking about? All right, it's another question. So you go to this book, you go, so we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. The New Testament starts in Matthew with Jesus, okay? So if you've read Matthew to Revelation, you say, yes, I've done that. Close your eyes. Okay, a few more. All right, open your eyes. All right, now, here's a, Matthew, you, you've, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels about Jesus. You've read the four Gospels. Close your eyes. All right, open your eyes. If you've ever read a verse in the Bible, close your eyes. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to close your eyes again. It's all right, open your eyes, look at me. The reason why I ask you that, all that is now I'm about to say something that may offend you. But I know exactly what I'm about to say, and I stand fully behind it. This is not an accidental offense. This is intentional. 
If I bump into you in the hallway and I help make you spill your coffee, I'm going to apologize because I unintentionally cause you pain. Okay? There's other times in my life I may intentionally cause you pain, like the dentist intentionally causing me pain. I, this, may, this one may hurt a little bit, but I, I want you to really listen about what I'm about to say. If you close your eyes at the first part, but you were unable to close your eyes again after that, you are saying, I have devoted my life to a man who I've never taken the time to even read his teachings. You're saying that I am following a man who I do not even know. You're saying I've devoted my life to a belief system that I've never even taken the time to read for myself. Let that sting a little bit. I want it to. I want that to hurt because I don't want you to just be a church goer. I want you to be a follower. I'm not content with you being a fan of Jesus. You know, when Jesus' picture pops up on Facebook, you hit the like button. That doesn't take a lot of commitment, does it? I want to lead a church of followers, not fans, who know what they believe and why they believe it. Because if everything that we read on the screen was really true, and if it really came down to it, where we had to make decisions like the disciples made, where it truly is life or death, where someone puts a gun to your head, will you be willing to die for your faith? I hope it never gets to that point. I hope we never get to that place in America. But I want to challenge you today. If you say, yes, I'm a Christian, take the time to read this for yourself. Don't let that ever be said again of, I don't really know what I believe or why I believe it. You owe it to yourself to do this. Maybe you'd start like I did. Maybe you just read the red leathers. Maybe you just read what Jesus actually said. Because maybe, just maybe, you're following a Jesus who doesn't even exist. All right, I'll be nice now. You know why I told you all that? Because when someone did that for me, it was a turning point in my faith. Someone got in my face at 16 and said to you what they just said to me, it forever changed my life. And I said, they're right. And so at 16 years old, I opened up to Genesis chapter 1, and I just started reading. And there's lots of good stories in there for a while, and then you get to Exodus and Leviticus, and all of a sudden you're like... How many more laws do I have to read? Oh, this is painful. So I'm going to challenge you to take the time to read what Jesus said for yourself. Maybe you would take the red letter challenge, and maybe you'd read and go, because I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just guessing maybe you were shocked by the, some of the things that Jesus actually said. Maybe you've never heard those in church before. Maybe you've just heard the I love you verses. <laughs> Jesus loves you, but he also tells you a lot of truth as well. And here's the last thing that I want to share with you to why this is so personal to me, why I would risk offending you. Because last Sunday, I was in a hospital room with Sue Morrison. She was fully alive. She was the happiest person in the room. Tuesday morning, I stood in that same hospital room and we gathered around her body that no longer had life. 
Then this past Friday, I stood right here on this platform and performed her funeral. And I won't tell you that funerals are easy, but Sue Morrison made it about as easy for me to perform a funeral as any human being ever could. Because she knew it was coming. And she wrote out, she goes, this is my testimony. This is what I want people to hear. I asked her family multiple times, what do you want to be said about Sue? I know all this, and every single one of them said the same thing to me. I know all that Sue wanted to hear was the difference between her life before Christ and after Christ. That's all. She didn't want it to be about her. She wanted it to be about Jesus. And the crazy thing about, about Sue is that she came to Christ later in life. She came to Christ at 57 years old. And for the last nine years of her life, her life was forever transformed by the person of Jesus. And it was a gift to me to be able to perform a funeral for somebody with, you didn't have to exaggerate about them. There was no exaggeration about her life. I had prepared things to say about her, and by the time it got to me, I didn't even need to say them because it was already said. I just opened the mic and said, would anybody like to come and share about Sue? And there was person after person that came and shared. And every single one that shared, everybody's like, yep, that was her. There was no one scratching their head. You've been to funerals where you're scratching your head going, who are they talking about? I knew Joe, and Joe did not sound like this guy that they're talking about. That was not this experience. Sue was transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. She had a living, vibrant, alive faith. It was infectious. When you were around her, it was infectious. And I told that congregation, I said, I want to be just like her when I grow up. Because she encountered a a relationship with her Savior. And it changed her. And she experienced what we talked about. Jesus was the way to life for her. He was it. To the point where I heard stories about Sue that I had never heard before. This is one of my favorite things that they would share. I love this. I thought it was awesome. Sue was, let's just say, not a fan of the windmills. She despised them. She loved nature. She loved the Iowa landscape. And she was like, oh, why are they destroying this beautiful landscape? She was, needless to say, a little bit frustrated. And what was said about her, that in her life prior to Christ, she may have dealt with the situation a little bit differently than she did. But you know what her response was? Baking cookies. She baked hundreds and hundreds of cookies. She individually wrapped them and put a scripture verse inside of each cookie. And she had this massive basket of cookies. And she would take it down to the office where all the workers worked. And she passed out cookies to every single person there because she wanted them to experience the love of Jesus. And she did this time after time after time to the point where the workers got thrilled when they saw the cookie lady coming. And you know what she wanted to share with those people? That Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. She knew it from experience. And she wanted those people to experience Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. And it was an honor for me to celebrate her life. Was she perfect? No. She was a sinner saved by grace, and she wanted everyone else to hear that. 
How in the world does that all tie in what I share with you today? It's because of this. When you come to the end of your life, and this is what I saw standing there in that hospital room, there's only two things that matter. Faith and family. That's it. Nothing else matters when you come to the end of your life. All the stuff that we invest our lives into, they don't matter any longer in that moment. When you come to the end of your life, there's, there's only two things that matter. And it's your faith and it's your family. So my asking you, so number one, do you know what you believe? Is your faith worth giving your life for? Have you experienced a vibrant, alive relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, he still offers it to you today. Because Sue's testimony was, I was raised as a Christian, but she said, I walked away from God and he let me. But at 57, he still drew me back to him. And her story is a powerful, powerful story of the mercy and the grace that God offers to you and to I. And so he tells us today, I am the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Will you accept that? Will you take what he offers you today? He offers you the way to eternal life. He doesn't give you the option of figuring out your own path. He doesn't give you the option of being good enough because you can't get there that way. There's only one way, and it's Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, if they would. And I want to offer you the challenge. To truly digest what Jesus said. Maybe reading really intimidates you. That's a beautiful thing about technology. You, know, you write through your cell phone, you can actually have it played to you, and you can listen to it. I think it, you owe it to yourself to find out what Jesus really taught, what Jesus really did, how Jesus really lived, to see who you're really following. Would you close your eyes with me? We're going to pray together. God, the context of what you said here starts off with this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I know the words that you heard today have been challenging. They've been harsh at times. But as we wrap this up, what I'm asking you of you is what Jesus asked of you. Will you trust him? Will you trust him as the way to God? Will you trust him as the truth? Will you trust him as the life?
I don't care how far you feel like God is, way is from you. I don't care how, how terrible your life of sin has been. Do you realize that sin is the only thing that qualifies you for grace? It's the thing that qualifies you for the need of a Savior. And there's no prerequisites. There's no entrance exam. There's simply this. And Jesus asks you, will you trust me? If you'd like to take a step of trust today, I'm going to ask you to do what we, how we close just about every week. I'm going to ask you to put your hands out like you're receiving a gift because God offers it to you as a gift. Maybe you've prayed this prayer. Maybe you've never prayed this prayer before. Maybe you've prayed it a hundred times. But again, today, God asks you, will you trust me? Right there in your sitting in your seat, would you say those words to Jesus? Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my heart. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my life. Help me, God, this week to take the time to get to know you better. Help me this week to take the steps to know whom I trust in, to know whom I follow. Help me, God, to have the courage to look into your word and be transformed, be challenged, even be offended by it at times. But, oh, God, right now here in this moment, I trust you. Thank you, God, for every person in this room right now who's, who's making an act with an act of will, their will is trusting you. God, I believe that it's going to be transformational. I believe that through those acts of trust, they're never, ever going to be the same because you are a trustworthy God. You said you'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. And I thank you for the acts that have, have taken place right now, those who are putting their trust in you. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship God together. There's, there's something about singing. And the song that we're going to be singing is talking about building our life, how God wants to build our life. And so as always, I want to give you opportunity. If you'd like to come and kneel at this altar, if you'd like to come and receive prayer, I want to give you that opportunity. But I don't want you to, just to rush past this moment. Allow God to seal in our hearts what he's been speaking to you today.